in your first class, in your first eight weeks, in your first semester, if you don't use a single breakout room, you will still be successful. If you don't use mentee at all, you will still be successful. That's all secondary and a means to an end. It's about connection. It's about knowing the students in the room and teaching them and working together with them and building a community among them and, and everything else can happen, but it's not essential. The ability to have dialogue and create space for such is. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. It's always fun when Brad and I have two guests to talk to. The energy is contagious, and it leaves us wanting more. And that's what we're doing today. We're back for part two with Rory Schmidt and Melinda Thomas. Thanks for being back, Melinda. Thank you. Great to be back. And welcome again, Rory. Hello. It's great to be back. Thank you so much. Last week, we talked a lot about faculty development, and we're going to continue that conversation today on the Digital to Learn podcast. When it comes to those synchronous sessions and preparing your instructors to offer those and to have them be as engaging as possible, what kinds of support do you provide or do you think is needed? Do you do you wish to provide, hope to provide when it comes to those synchronous sessions? Sure. Um the synchronous sessions, I think, are really important and valuable. And how I like to describe them is that teaching is performance. When you're performing to students, you're performing with students, it's a dance. You know, you really have to connect with your students in the classes. You really have to show them examples from current events to make it really relevant. And our faculty that we work with are already so brilliant and so accomplished in their fields, too, that they draw from that professional experience to really help make the theories come to life. And I think that really motivates and also helps clarify. And then we'll hear our students say, you know, they applied that theory in their job recently at their work or they shared with it at their manager. So that's really exciting. And our department of faculty support and development, we're really here for our professors and our faculty to answer any questions, provide support, watch their classes, give feedback, you know, solve a problem. If there's a question or a problem, we want to make sure all part of the faculty lifestyle, we're really there for them. So even before they start working, we participate in a teaching demonstration. So when we start working, we have a new faculty orientation course where we support them. You know, we really are there with them the first class they teach and then throughout their whole time. And I think part of having this department too is just having that trust so the faculty feel like they can reach out to us and then we'll provide support and help them. Because we look at it, I think Melinda and I look at it both from a student perspective, but then also we've been faculty too, so we can kind of walk that line of, of really seeing it from multiple perspectives. So as part of that experience, are faculty required to participate in ongoing faculty development experiences? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think faculty development is important. What do you all think? Do you, what do you, what's your perspective on development and what kinds of uh, opportunities do you think are most valuable? Because we... We do a lot, but I want to make it interesting. <laughs> we also embrace that totally. Yeah. But we also routinely get pushback from full-time faculty that they really don't need to participate in these kinds of experiences. 
which we wholly disagree with, and at least for the time being, are able to enforce. Yeah. Well, this podcast seems like a faculty development opportunity for anyone wanting to learn more about how to teach or teach better. Sure. I mean, you know, teaching, you never finish learning, unfortunately. <laughs> it's like I'm always learning about how to teach better. But for our faculty development, we have interdisciplinary faculty workshops three times a year. So our last one focused on academic integrity, where we talked about chat GPT. That was really huge. We had the Office of Academic Integrity come and really support us and answer questions about embracing technology and working through this ambiguity and supporting faculty and alleviating fears they have about it. Um, we've also had workshops about teaching with empathy, really talking about how to connect with our students, too. And those are a lot of fun. You have about 50, 60 people in the Zoom session. But then also annually, we have an annual performance review form that they fill out every year. And they just talk about what are your teaching goals? You know, what did you accomplish this year? Like, what do you want to change? What service did you do? And this is a really great way for them faculty, I think, to reflect Teacher self-reflection, I think you guys probably experienced too. That's a big part of moving along and evolving, I think, as a teacher. And then the third thing we do is peer review. So we actually partner faculty together with every year. If you're teaching a class, you have a peer who observe your class. They don't sit in your Zoom room with you, but they'll watch classes and they'll just ask anything you want feedback on or support. And also, we have, it's the added benefit of all our faculty are kind of borrowing best teaching practices from each other, which Good is enough. amazing from Melinda and I standpoint to see like the ripple effect. And also it increases their understanding of all the different classes in the programs because we have 12 courses in the master's degree programs. They're making partnerships with each other too, which is a huge part, I think, of faculty retention and development. Yeah. Anything else, Melinda, I'm leaving out? I mean, that was a beautiful foray into our cornucopia of development opportunities. I'll say we've evolved, you know, from the beginning of our first program in 2017, we have always had an incredible amount of support from our dean and our chief academic officer, like our leadership, a team of people to remove barriers from faculty so that they can focus on teaching, so that they can focus on our students will make an incredible difference. So I, we feel very well supported and by proxy, our faculty feel very well supported too. So in the beginning, you know, we had this very small community of faculty and we used to have debrief meetings about how the session went after every eight week session. And then we woke up one day and we had a hundred faculty and it's like, well, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> so we've, I think, been really nimble in terms of growth. We got to be really intentional in building the culture that our faculty are working within, which I think is incredibly important and makes it an actual community of practice for 100% remote faculty is such a differentiator. If you've been a remote faculty member or an adjunct faculty member, you know, where this is part of sort of your whole bigger career, I think it can feel kind of alienating and isolating if you don't feel like you have a community. So we're always kind of focused on where we're headed. And something that Rory has an incredible skill set in is using data <laughs> to drive the decisions for what we, where we are and where we need to go next. We work with faculty based on learning science. We work with faculty based on survey results and other data and metrics. So there's a lot of intentionality that I think makes the efforts really impactful. And then it always starts with, you know, who the faculty are and they're incredible. They're here to teach 
they have growth mindsets, they want to learn together, and they're just delightful to work with. And so all of that positivity together, I think makes for fun workshops, you know, a welcome environment, like we want to know your ideas, and we want you to facilitate. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to support you in bringing your strengths to this. I think that's really empowering. And our faculty are so good. Excellent. I love that. I love hearing the data focus, Rory, and the fun that you have when you host these sessions. You mentioned learning science too. So would you mind elaborating a little bit on your teaching philosophy and how that does influence the techniques that you would use to teach as well as the techniques that perhaps you're a bit more biased, you know, pushed on to faculty, the ones that you really want to see them use in the classroom? I can start us off. I think, you know, a teaching philosophy is always has to be really uniquely crafted preparing for this podcast, I thought, what are some of the philosophical theories I can quote? And I thought, well, I don't know if that's really the most helpful. Because when I go into class, I don't say, you know, I'm going to use this particular theory necessarily. (laughs) But I think, you know, a really big part of my teaching philosophy is I'm really there to help. I believe education is the future. I believe education is changing the world every day. And so if I can do anything to provide a learning experience for our students, whether it's teaching in class or helping faculty be really effective teachers, um, that's important to me. So again, learner-centeredness is really focused for me, making sure that I'm always adaptive and flexible as a faculty member. I'm reflective, like, what did I do? What could I do better? And then also engage, you know, a part of how my teaching philosophy is, is that I want students to to realize that they're a partner in this experience and that they're not just going to be quietly listening to me lecture for 60 minutes or a faculty lecture. We even do physical exercises to stretch in Zoom, you know, we want students to really connect with each other, connect with the faculty too, and always apply because what you learn in school is something that you can take with you forever. You know, and so how can we plant those seeds so that they're gaining something of value? So imagine I'm one of your faculty and I'm struggling. I just don't feel like I'm connecting more with my online students. And I really need some help with that. So I come to you with that question. What are some things you would recommend to me? Imagine that you have a thousand ways to answer Brad's very astute questions. So I wanted to follow behind you, my leader, and all things coaching faculty. Oh my Rory's God. Rory is exceptional, Brad, in exactly what you're talking about. So let's yeah. For those of you who are not watching us, I get very excited about this topic. <laughs> I get very excited about everything. So I don't know. Happy to jump in more. I think that if I were to Brad, you probably have more answers than I do. But a long time ago, I used to be an art therapist. And my training in art therapy was um, you never make a diagnosis or a prescription on the artwork alone. And I think that something that we practice as faculty development professionals is really focusing on the individual faculty member and what their particular goals are. So we are solution-focused and solution-driven, but it's really about connecting with them. And like, Brad, I might ask you, tell me more. Tell me more about what exactly do you not feel like is going well? Is it that when you ask a question in Zoom, no one responds or mm-hmm. no one's camera is on? You know, so we could talk yeah. through work with silence or we could talk with how do you get students to turn their cameras on and tell them that, hey, you know, 
Jim, I see that you have your dog in the, in the back room. You want to introduce your dog to the class or, hey, Sam, I see that you have your toddler. It's okay. You can have your toddler and welcome to your child. You want to introduce them. So really making sure that you're being as inclusive as possible. But I think really finding out what faculty issues are is really just asking questions and then providing some options too. And always with that open-mindedness that like, we don't necessarily have the answer and every group of students is different. You could teach one class and as you all know, it goes really well. You think you do the same thing the next time, it's not so well. And so really just kind of teasing through, reflecting and asking questions, I think, you know. And all of the examples you provided have a common theme to them. I think and that is kind of humanizing the online experience, Mm -hmm. humanizing the faculty, like I'm a real person too, and also connecting with where the students are. I think a lot of respect and reverence that there's not one right way of teaching or of learning, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that there are so many possibilities. And that I think sometimes when faculty do approach with things aren't quite right, seeking just to understand that it might be something very simple, or it might be something that's um, easily resolved just through sort of reflection and dialogue. And I think of conversations with faculty that I've had in the past after, for example, reading student evaluations, they read evaluations and there might be, you know, a statement or two that doesn't sit quite right with them. It's amazing how freeing it can be just to have dialogue around that with another person so that it doesn't feel like this is something that's happening to you anonymously, you know, Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. And something Rory is so terrific at in coaching is really leaving a lot of space, (laughs) leaving a lot of space for the person who's come with questions or inquiries or curiosities to think through those aloud in a safe, trusting, comfortable place and not to give a prescription, you know, or necessarily a solution, but just to be a colleague, to be connected. And I think the shared desire to provide outstanding instruction to our students. And I think too, something Brad that you mentioned and and Melinda, you spoke about too, I wrote down the word vulnerability. I circled it on my paper. And just as a reminder, like teaching is kind of a vulnerable process. And then when something doesn't go well, it's also can be difficult to either recognize by yourself or share with someone else. So something that faculty can ask the students, like, you know, start, stop, continue. Uh, for that feedback, what do they like that's going well? What do they want to change? What do they need more of? I think that's really important. And then also just admitting that vulnerability in the classroom can really help students to speak up and to share like, hey, you know, I planned that activity. It really bombed. And just <laughs> having a levity and laughing about it or like, I made a mistake, y'all. I, I'm late on my grades. I'm so sorry. Here's what's going on. And here's how I'm going to fix it. So just being okay with being vulnerable, I think. It's really important in that humanizing that online experience. And then you're role modeling that vulnerability for students, right? Mm-hmm. Rory and I were chatting the other day about growth mindset as like a lifelong practice, right? And the difficulty in being open to feedback because that means that you have to self-reflect and that means that you have work to do. But we all do. And we put students in this position in which they're required to be open to feedback, whether they want to be or not. Mm -hmm. So when faculty role model that, like 
I want to know what's working for you. And I want to know what's not. And I want you to feel safe sharing that. And then I'm going to make adjustments because I'm in a lifelong practice of becoming. And then I want you to trust me that when one of the audience members of your writing or of your work, that I'm really just here to support you on this journey. Like there is an assessment and evaluation piece, but I think kind of removing the fight or flight of getting feedback or the fears that we have of being vulnerable or potentially failing in showing that we're all here learning and embodying that has such an impact on the learning community. Like I, we watch faculty teach all the time. We watch their, you know, recorded sessions and the smallest things, you just watch the whole room open up. And it's like, that just gave them so much <laughs> relief. The humanity that's here just relieved mm-hmm. these students so much of how they're feeling. And now they're ready to learn. Now they're ready to feel challenged. So yeah, when it's done well, oh my goodness, practicing vulnerability, reflecting a growth mindset. And I think as staff, we have to remind ourselves that we have to participate in all of that too. Like, want to know, like, was this helpful for you? How can I be more helpful? Am I talking too much? Um, And, you know, taking that in and evolving too. And then, I don't know, there's even more trust, I think, to come back because we're both learning together. Glad you talked about assessment practices too, because that's another asynchronous component of, you know, learning and teaching. And some of our faculty actually have whole conversations back and forth with students in the grade book. Like here is a question I have, the student comes back and answers, and that's part of the communication and both feedback for peers giving each other feedback or feedback that faculty give. You know, I really, I tell everybody I'm a Pisces. I'm very sensitive. I want you to think about the sensitive people who may be in your classroom and just really curating, like, what are you going to say? How much are you going to say? If you give your students a paper, it's all read and written up. They're just going to give up. You know, I mean, that's not necessarily helpful, but really sharing feedback that is focusing on strengths, asking questions, clarify, giving some suggestions to, but making sure that you're building someone up and never breaking someone down. Just before I came on to this recording session, I got an email from one of my students wanting to know more about a grade that I gave them. Why did I get this grade? I think the options are one, just some people would take the position, well, look at the rubric. That's what you deserve. Or as you described, to have a conversation about it. And maybe I misunderstood what they've written or misperceived it in some way. So it's a great opportunity to talk more about it. You've talked about empathy as being the subject of a recent faculty development session. And for Brad and for me, that was the the topic this past fall was empathy and humanizing online education and vulnerability. So that was kind of neat. And then you talked about academic integrity being the focus recently. And similarly, that's a focus that we have right now. So can we get any kind of feel for what you're thinking is next? What's Mm. coming up? What do you want faculty to know? Or what are you working on now? Amazingly, Rory is in the process of planning our next workshop for this summer. She, <laughs> I Zoom bombed a meeting she was having with faculty yesterday on, on our next topic, which is really exciting. Um, it's actually on engaging digital learners, how to create more engagement in your classes. And so when we were meeting with a faculty, really because it's faculty driven and faculty led, I help support and drive through and help clarify and direct, but having the faculty share their best practices. And he he's actually an attorney and he teaches in our criminal justice 
program, Midji Velikatel, if you're listening. And he will be an incredible facilitator. But, you know, really we want to make sure that faculty are always sharing their best practices and how to engage. And it could be just recognizing body language. It could be that nonverbal communication that you're giving or the pauses in between thoughts and drawing from that. So the presence, I think, of engagement, because engagement doesn't have to be a fancy tool. It can really be a way that we just connect and kind of reach through that computer screen and and shake hands, you know? Love it. (laughs) And as you describe that, I think sometimes we get caught up in looking for the perfect digital tool that we can use to kind of get people excited and all of those things in the online world. When really a lot of the best strategies are just having conversations and providing openings for that to occur. And that's probably the most meaningful engagement students have. I really appreciate that sentiment, Brad, and I share it. I think that some of the anxiety that faculty who are new to an online learning environment bring with them is around, I've got to know the tools. I've got to have the whistles. Show me how to use the polling feature. And I think something we try to share with them really intentionally is in your first class, in your first eight weeks, in your first semester, if you don't use a single breakout room, you will still be successful. If you don't use mentee at all, you will still be successful. That's all secondary and a means to an end. It's about connection. It's about knowing the students in the room and teaching them and working together with them and building a community among them and and everything else can happen, but it's not essential. The ability to have dialogue and create space for such is. This is going to sound terrible to say, but I have yet to teach a course where there hasn't been at least one student, adult learners, who are going through some kind of crisis in their life a death in the family, a sick child, something job-related. And as tragic as those things are, and they're real, it also creates a great opportunity to demonstrate empathy, to connect with that student, to show them that you care about what's going on in their life, to make allowances for those things. Any thoughts on that? And what my thought is, I wonder if Brad ever had an experience as a student in college where a faculty invited that invitation for support, connection, and reassurance. Because I know when I was a college student and I had something happen in in my family, I reached out to a professor and all I said was, this happened, my paper is late. And they used that opportunity to really empathize me, share a similar experience, offer not just one day's, but a week extension deadline. And, you know, 20 years later, I still remember that art history professor and how she was vulnerable in her willingness to empathize with me and also not to criticize, judge, you know, question me, interrogate me, but really just kind of be there for me as a professor. So I think that's really important. Because on the flip side of that, we've heard horror stories about someone having a death in their family and a faculty member saying, well, I'll give you an extension, but I need to see something from the funeral. It's like, ah, can't believe you're doing that. No. Not at our institution, by the way, just some other (laughs) school. (laughs) I mean, I think there is this on the, I don't want to call it the flip side of empathy. I'll say maybe sometimes an unrecognized part of empathizing with a student who's having difficult life circumstances 
is also presenting alternatives to extensions within the class. And I think that that line, we had similar discussions around academic integrity as well. Like where is sort of the point of, I see you and I honor you and I wanna make space for you and I wanna support you into, this is now no longer fair for everyone else in our class who has to meet these deadlines. And so, I think sort of having an arsenal of USC resources, which are robust counseling, mental health resources, anything you can imagine, as well as like some pretty clean policy lines with regard to we've reached this moment and now a withdrawal is what you're going to have to do, but it's going to be okay because, you know, here's the next steps and what they look like. I think faculty really struggle with that sometimes and they want to, they can turn it in whenever. And it's like, actually, if we, <laughs> If we follow that logic, we're going to end up in trouble because it's not really accurate. So helping to, I guess, inform faculty on the importance of balancing, seeing and hearing students where they are, making reasonable exceptions, and then also kind of knowing when it's time to say, I think based on where we are right now in the context of what's happening, your your best options look like the following. Yep. Yep. Both of you seem so solutions driven, so positive and just calm, cool and collected. I used that phrase a couple of times yesterday. So our producer in the background is like, man, she's been saying that a lot, but it's because I've been so impressed by people who have this peace in the midst of different societal issues that are going on, global issues that are going on, pressures, but you don't seem stressed. You seem like you have a plan. I know Melinda said Rory is so excited about trading that's to come and that's wonderful. And it sounds like you have amazing faculty in place, but surely if we were to give you a magic wand, there would be something that you would change. (laughs) And so that's what we're doing now. It's actually Brad, who is a master of some of those digital tools that is sending you virtually this beautiful magic wand with rock and roll kind of decor and vibes and music playing in the background (laughs) right where you are and you're waving it around. And what is that thing that you would change in your profession or for your faculty or for the students or whatever it may be? Well, before they answer, though, we need to know what song is playing in the background as you're playing with this magic wand. And while you're thinking of that, now I'm imagining <laughs> the Catwoman suit. Oh now, how, the Wonder, now, like Rory is Wonder Woman and Melinda's Catwoman <laughs> and the music is playing and it's getting really interesting. At this time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It sounds like a short film. <laughs> I'm hearing you've got to fight for your right to party for Ooh, some reason. Good. That's what's coming to you right now. Good. Um, But I think my magic wand for higher education, it would be inclusion. Include everyone, include everyone's voice, all faculty, all student, all staff voice, include everyone in the room. And with that inclusion, be very open. Wonderful. Love it. And the song choice was good, too. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Melinda, top that one. Well, for my song, I don't know if it's the difficulty of getting tickets or something else, but I'll I'll go with Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. Um, might not ever see Taylor live in this tour, but Rory and I had a, a colleague that did, and as she described described the show experience, I sat there in envy. Like I'd like I'd like to make that happen for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so with Taylor Swift's Shake It Off playing in the background, I mean, I would say this isn't like a distinct problem to solve per se, but I think that more sort of openness and curiosity around things that happen 
would be to the benefit of all of us. So very specifically, since November, December, with the emergence of chat GPT, there's been a lot of doom and gloom. There's been a lot of, you know, is it the end of of everything? But there's also these voices that bring forth such ingenuity and innovation and curiosity and positivity around the unknown of the future of this. And that's where I'd like us to be with everything. Difficult dialogue with a student, be curious. Yeah, love that, love that. Yeah, same. This has been thrilling to have the two of you here today. This has been awesome. This was so fun. This was so, thank you so much for inviting us. It was wonderful to meet you all. Now we just got to visit in person. I'm thinking about us in Michigan, Indiana, thinking about you all in Arizona. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's April for those that are listening and there's just a lot of envy going on, but you're doing wonderful work and it's neat. It's neat to hear not just the news or read the LinkedIn articles or are kind of sit in the doom and gloom that we were describing, but to actually talk to people who are like, oh, we got this. We got this. We have hope. We have ideas. We're going to focus on the basics. We're going back to the nonverbals and the connection and humanity, humility, all the things. So inclusion, it's wonderful work. And we're glad we could feature you here on the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.